Knock High. Hello and welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenflecken. I am Kristen Flannery, also known as Lady Glockenflecken. Do you guys like money? <laughs> Do you like money? I, I, sure. You need money. You need money. Yeah. It's good to have money. It is good to have money. It makes things easier We're talking in about some ways. Money. We're talking about money today. Mm-hmm. We are going to be talking to Jimmy Turner, who is the chief medical officer and co-founder of Attend, a financial platform for physicians. He is very much into, he runs a podcast mm-hmm. that's called Money Meets Medicine um, and uh, is the author of The Physician Philosopher's Guide to Personal Finance. So he's definitely in this world. We talk a lot about you know, why are like physicians so averse to like talking about money? I mean, I think everybody's kind of averse to talking about money, yeah. but uh, doctors in particular, and he focuses mm-hmm. on physician personal finance. Um, and so, which is not something you ever get to learn about. Yeah, exactly. And so we talk about a variety of things, disability insurance, and we also start talking a little bit about the U.S. healthcare system with mm-hmm. regard to private equity. Yeah, so the if you're word. Yeah, the, the 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 bad word, private equity. Uh, if you're interested in, in our thoughts on that, that's you can. I think, expect I think that you just gave away your later. thoughts on that. Well, I mean, <laughs> do I like it or not? Who knows? We'll have you'll have to listen to find out. Maybe it's wonderful. Maybe it's something sent from hell. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, you have to listen. But this does um, bring up a, a, a video series that mm-hmm. I um, am doing this month. Yes, very timely yes. coincidence here. 30 days of U.S. healthcare. That's right. So uh, I spent uh, pretty much all of August uh, writing out all of these healthcare, U.S. healthcare system related skits. Uh, and now every day I'm releasing one. And so uh, that covers just everything from like deductibles and co-payments and uh, but also things like uh, private equity and um, uh, insurance denials and vertical integration, just all kinds of stuff. All the things that make U.S. healthcare so special. That's right. Exactly. And I'm doing it this way to just try to 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 bring a lot of awareness and education also make people laugh, mm-hmm. maybe cry a little bit. Well, you laugh so you don't cry. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so hopefully people are learning a, a thing or two from from seeing all these videos. And um, I'm excited about it. I've been working yeah. hard on it. And uh, and so um, I think so far it's going pretty great. Yeah. So, nice job. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> you didn't like that. You didn't like accepting a, a compliment a, a compl- there. Yeah, that well, made I, you uncomfortable. I appreciate like, Thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Oh, compliment. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. Especially coming from you. Thank you. You're like, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> but let's talk, should we let's let's get into it, should we? Yeah. Let's talk about um let's talk about finance. Let's do it. Oh, you ready? Okay. I'm ready. Here we Are go. You? I'm 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 ready. Okay. Here he is, Dr. Jimmy Turner. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology that helps physicians be more efficient and to reduce the clinical documentation that leads to so much burnout in medicine these days. To learn more about how DAX can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com discoverdax. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com 
slash discover D-A-X. All right, we're here with Jimmy Turner, Dr. Turner. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to talk with you again. Yeah, likewise. Super excited to be here and uh, and to officially be on uh, Knock Knock High. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've, I've, I came on your podcast um, not too long ago, and we talked about um, something that makes my, me and probably uh, lots of physicians uncomfortable, which is money. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, it's why is that? What are we special as as like as people in medicine, or is this just like kind of across the board? Everyone just like just money just makes people uncomfortable. I don't know if we're special or not. Yeah, we like I th- to think we're special usually, but we might not be. Yeah, yeah, no, it's that is a doctor thing to think we're special, but uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting, you know, some of it certainly is just like general cultural stuff, right? Like you just don't talk about money, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, like those are some, you know, yeah. taboo topics, right? Um, but I, I will say that there are some unique things about doctors, right? Uh, one of them being that there's this idea in medicine that you can't go into medicine for any other reason other than altruism. And to talk about money means that you're making patient care or the business of medicine financially related, um, which, which is really unfortunate because, you know, I've, I've had opportunities to, to speak and teach about money for, for years now. And sometimes, I mean, it's not infrequent. Uh, it's an uphill battle and people will say no. And when I ask them about it, they're like, well, you know, what, what if we teach people the wrong thing? right? They're, they're scared to death of it. Um, which as an anesthesiologist, I, I find hilarious. Cause like, if we teach people the wrong thing about what I do, people die, but <laughs> we're, we're concerned about teaching them about money. Cause God forbid they, you know, they, they do a backdoor Roth IRA. Um, you know, and so it's, uh, right. it's always been interesting to me, but yeah, it, it's taboo and doctors financial literacy is abysmal. Uh, and so I think people are also embarrassed to talk about something. You got a really intelligent group of people who, you know, uh, have to admit that they probably don't know much about something, which is pretty hard. Yes. I, I know that my financial literacy coming out of, um, college wasn't great. Part of the reason Close why zero part of the reason why I chose to go to Dartmouth for med school over, um, over Texas, where it's a public school for in state tuition, <laughs> in state tuition. Yeah. I no. chose $50,000 per year over $10,000 per well, year, you're welcome. but that's okay. It was cause I got to stay with my beautiful wife here. So <laughs> Yep. I knew nothing about it back then either. So, you know, I, th- I think a lot of us come into to medicine, graduate school, you know, post-college life knowing very little. And I don't think people should be so ashamed of not knowing, you know, I know with doctors that you're, you know, you pride yourself on being the smart one or, you know, it's very competitive. So you can't ever let people know when you don't know something. But I don't think anyone really knows anything about money, just generally speaking, because we don't get taught that in school, you know, very best, you might get like a macro or a microeconomics class in high school. And that's the extent of it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There's no personal finance. There's no, Yeah. what do you remember from your macroeconomics class? (laughs) Right. And as a high school senior, nothing. (laughs) So yeah. So I think most people are in the same boat. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting. Cause when, when they look at this, the American psychological association does study every year or two, and they basically show that the number one stressor in all American households is money. Uh, and yet we don't do much about it. And that's probably why, right? Like we don't learn about the stuff right. in high school or college or, you know, I mean, if your parents didn't teach you, there's a really good chance that, you know, absolutely nothing about the subject. Um, right. so yeah, I think it's super common. Now you have a, an, a, an interesting path to get to where you are now, where, you know, you're the chief medical officer, co-founder of Attend, this, you know, financial platform for physicians. 
And, um, uh, but a lot of your story also, probably a lot of people can relate to, and it's, you, you label it, uh, a part of your story as this, uh, arrival fallacy, which is a, a term I never, I'd never heard before. Um, but I absolutely relate to it. And I think a lot of, a mm -hmm. lot of people, especially people in medicine can relate to this idea. So could you just tell us a little bit about that? First of all, did you coin that term? <laughs> Can uh, I give no, you that Har credit? No, I, I, w I wish you could. It's a Harvard psychologist, Tal Ben Shahar, uh, who, who <laughs> coined right, that there one. You go. But yeah, no, it, it's a it's a super interesting concept, and and you know, most of the time I talk about it, doctors are like, oh my gosh, you know, this is me. And and actually, right. I think a lot of a lot of people, even outside of medicine, but um, but yeah, it's basically this idea that um, once you attain a certain goal or you you reach a certain milestone, that that's when you're going to be happy. Right. And, and so there's this arrival that you're anticipating and everything that you're going through in life, you're like, this is going to be worth it when I get there. And so the medical journey, right, you're like in college, you're working, you know, looking forward to getting to medical school and you get into medical school and, you know, that that's supposed to be the answer. And then it's super hard and you're drinking, you know, information through a, you know, a fire hydrant or a fire hose. And, and all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, but when I become a doctor and I get to residency, that's when things are going to be better. I, I get to get rid of the short white coat. If your school does that, mine did. Uh, yep. you know, and get the dawn, the long white coat and still uh, have mine, still have yeah, my short white coat. You didn't burn it. <laughs> I, uh, are you kidding me? What if TikTok had been around or I had no idea. Like now I, I use it on a lot of my videos. So. Hey, Mostly he was smart. just lazy and it worked out well. There you go. Yeah. You know, I mean, lots of people do interesting things with it. You made videos from it. That's right. Um, but yeah. And then you, you get burned out in residency and you're like, you know what, when I make an attending physician paycheck that that's when it's going to be worth it. And then yeah. it's not right. And you're like, when I buy the house and I buy the car. And so it really is more like what Gertrude Stein said, right? When she said, there is no there, there, um, you know, once you get there, this, this idea of everlasting fulfillment is a bit of a, a fictional narrative that unfortunately we tell ourselves and then set ourselves up for this arrival fallacy. And it's called a fallacy for a reason. It's not real. Um, and so you, you basically look for the next thing. You're constantly looking for the next thing. So instead of enjoying the journey, you're focused on the destination. And unfortunately, the destination is not what makes people happy. Right. Because when you get there, there's always, you know, good things and bad things about every situation, every phase of life, right? Like, then when you get to the destination, you're you are in attending position, you look back on the med school days, and, you know, you have all this nostalgia, and you think, oh, those were the good old days, you know, so I, I think, even during the harder phases, there are some really good things about those phases. And if you focus on those and enjoy those, you know, then it's, it's more fun. And it's, it's maybe, I don't know if it would attenuate the arrival fallacy at all, but it would at least make your life a little better in the meantime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th I think, I think switching to that, that narrative of enjoying the process is, is really important. Um, and until I did that, I, I really had a hard time being, being happy. And so I was always looking for something else. Even when I finished medicine, became an attending, I was like, oh, when it's associate professor, or when I start this business, you know, this is going to give me the financial independence that I need, and then I'll be happy. And it turns out that, you know, it really is that way, looking at your current situation, instead of looking up the mountain and where you want to be, looking back down and saying, hey, those were some pretty fun memories and look how far I've come. But shifting that right. perspective is, is really challenging for, for a lot of people. That being said, if anybody listening does know how to achieve everlasting fulfillment, <laughs> please reach out to, out to us. Um, knock, 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 human dash content. Yeah, that's com. right. Please. <laughs> we would love to know. Hello. Um, and you and I, Jimmy, have we've talked about this before uh, uh, off offline, but uh, we, we have something in common uh, that is financially related that I think a lot of people have to go through in medicine, which is thinking about getting disability insurance. Um, and 
you know, the thing we have in common is that neither of us were able to uh, get that. Yeah, we both <laughs> failed. We both, we both failed, failed uh, for probably very similar or not. Sim- I mean, for medical reasons, obviously, um, you know, I had uh, a cancer diagnosis early on and um, and you, I guess, tell us, you know, you're I think this it would be helpful for people to hear this, especially, you know, people just starting their medical careers um, about what you went through with disability insurance. Yeah, why absolutely. it's important, first of all, that's that's another thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I would argue that disability insurance is the number one financial task for a physician. Um, and the reason why is because, you know, I can literally teach you anything you want to know about investing or paying down debt. But if you don't have an income, it turns out that doesn't really matter, right? That knowledge shows, right. you know, it's, it's completely useless. And uh, and so, yeah, for, for me, I didn't know anything about money up until I was, you know, basically finishing fellowship. And so this happened during my fourth year of medical school. My wife and I, we had our first kid, Grace. She's now 12, uh, which is insane. Uh, but when Grace was born, my wife and I were like, hey, let's do adult things and get term life insurance, right? And uh, had no idea who to talk to. And so it turned out that one of the brothers from my medical school classmates uh, was an insurance agent. I was like, oh, perfect. I can trust this guy. And so approached him and he's like, yeah, absolutely. We can get you term life insurance, but you should also get disability. And remember, I know nothing about money at this point. So I'm like, I don't have an income. I don't exactly understand why I need this. Um, but you know, you're the professional here. I said no a few times, got talked into it. And long story short, I've got an essential tremor, take propranolol for it, got diagnosed hilariously while I was doing a lumbar puncture as a fourth year med student and my hands were shaking a lot. And the neurology oh, resident's no. like, Hey, uh, your hands shake a lot. I was like, doesn't like don't everybody's hands shake when they're nervous? He's like, Yeah, but that's a <laughs> lot. And uh, and so got the propranolol, treated it. But the problem was is that, you know, I, I basically got denied disability insurance because I had a medical problem. And with that at the time seemed like not a big deal. I know nothing about money, but I get to training. And then there's something called the guaranteed standard issue policy, which fancy words to mean that they don't care about your medical history. You don't have to go through underwriting. They don't look at your medical history at all. The only stipulation is you can't have been disabled and you can't have been denied. And so since mm-hmm. I got denied as a fourth year medical student, because an insurance agent was trying to make money off of me, uh, to this day, I can't get disability insurance. And so, you know, and that's one of the reasons why if you have a medical history and you're in training, you have to check into the guaranteed policy uh, because it, it's super important. And it's one of the only ways you can get it if you have medical issues like I did. And so, yeah, so to this day, I can't get it. Um, I am so uninsurable at this point that it is uh, not, not funny, but kind of funny. Hey. Yeah, uh, two cancer diagnoses hey, and a cardiac arrest. Join, you want to talk yeah. about uninsurable. Yeah. Join the club, man. We're, we're in the uninsurable club. Yeah. yeah. Co-founders. <laughs> co-founders yes what is the earliest people can get disability insurance because you that's one of those things that you need to buy it before you need it not when you need it so when is the first chance people can buy it yeah people ask me all the time like when should i get disability insurance now i say the day before you get disabled but since you don't know when that's going to be it's when you have an income um you can certainly buy it before then but then you're paying for disability you know premiums with loans right so as soon as you become you know, someone in training and you have an income, disability insurance is something that should be on your radar because you're always the most insurable as you're ever going to be right now. Right. And, you know, well, you didn't expect to get cancer. You know, I didn't expect to get Graves disease and anxiety that was associated with that after my tremor. Um, turns out propranolol masks Graves disease. When I ran out of that, that was a, that was a story too. But, uh, but yeah, so when you get an income, that's a step one question, I think. Oh man. Yeah. I was on a (laughs) golf course. I I had a panic attack with my buddy, Mike, and so, uh, you know, when that happened, I like literally just no propranolol, like I'm, you know, super anxious, like, you know, just yeah. impending doom. So I had a shotgun a beer 
And uh, that was my my immediate treatment, my medical diagnosis and treatment at the time. <laughs> yeah, on the your golf professional course. opinion. Shotgun yeah, a beer. Yeah, shotgun a beer if you don't have propranolol. That's that's the solution. Um, <laughs> we do not give medical advice on this podcast. <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But uh, but yeah. So as soon as you have an income, I mean, that's when it needs to be on your radar uh, because that's when you have you know an income producing asset to protect. Quick follow up follow up question to that: How did the lumbar puncture go? <laughs> You know, the, the resident's like, I mean, you, you got it. It was good. I mean, I don't remember if it was like a champagne tap, uh, you know, no hey, RBCs in the, uh, in the fluid, but it, it's hilarious because now like I'm a regional anesthesiologist. I do spinals and thoracic epidurals yeah. like all of the time. And so, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was successful. So Maybe a Merlot tap. That's right. Something like that. Yeah, it was, pre- it was pretty bloody. <laughs> That's right. Oh boy. I'm just oh. kidding. I, I don't remember it all. It, yeah. yeah That's one of the things you probably blocked out of your memory yeah. quite a while ago. Um, well, you know, I want to take advantage of having someone that actually knows something about like money and finance here. Um, and so there, it seems like even more so now there are some financial things in medicine that are like happening. And, uh, um, it's, it's, uh, one thing is, well, the first thing I wanted to bring up is this issue of student loan repayment, Uh uh, which is, um, the, now starting to after the the deferments were going on during the pandemic right it's going to be kicking in again is that right mm-hmm. yep what's the date on that is that it's like it's later this fall. This... it's this fall it was september now it's potentially october oh they might push it back a little bit more yeah but september is the was the official word originally uh and so do you have any advice for for trainees who are kind of that's about to kick back in and potentially be a big change in life. Yeah. I mean, w- one of the pieces of advice I'd, I'd tell you is to, to not sit on it. Um, and the reason being is that when forbearance ends, and this is true going forward, right? So if you're an intern from you know July till January, you have a six month grace period. But once that grace period ends and forbearance ends, you know, coming this fall, you get put in what's called the standard replacement or excuse me, the, the standard repayment uh, program. And so what, what happens there is you basically get like a four figure check in the mail or, you know, bill in the mail and like, Hey, you owe us $2,500. Cause it basically is figured out by how, how much would you have to pay to pay your own debt off in 10 years? Right. And so, you know, the people that Thanks. don't enroll in an income driven repayment program before these payments start back and who have been in forbearance and were never in a program, they will get a, you know, multiple four figure bill in the mail, potentially that wipes out their entire residency income for the month. Mm-hmm. Right. So if don't, not more. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. <laughs> and so, uh, that's fair. So don't, don't sit on it, make a plan. Right. And, um, and so, you know, the Biden administration came out with, you know, this new save plan, uh, saving for a valuable education and, you know, in order to simplify things. And unfortunately student loans still after this plan are incredibly complicated. Right. So right. if you are, you know, a single resident who is more than 12 months away from graduating and you don't have any outside income, save is going to be the right plan 95, 97, 99% time. I mean, the vast majority, right? But if you're in any of those complicated situations, you're married, your spouse has loans, your spouse has income, you live in a community property state, you know, like any of these things can kind of make it more complicated. And so you either need to become like a miniature student loan expert and, you know, do it yourself and figure it out, which is fine, certainly a route, or you need to get help with it. Um, but either way, the, the ostrich, like, you know, 
putting your head in the sand approach is, which is what most doctors do with most, most financial topics, including yours truly. I forbeared on my debt for five years, watched it increase by 150% because no one taught me about money back then. And so now I know better and tell people, Hey, don't be like me. Don't screw up your disability insurance and don't screw up your student loans. Cause I did both. That's two things right there. There you go. We're giving a lot of good advice. Are there any other big ones? Like the, um, like the big mistakes that, that I'm, oh, I'm yeah. asking mainly yes. for myself as well, <laughs> yes. honestly. So, so one of the biggest mistakes people make, well, there's a few, I, I mean, could go over several, but one is not, not believing in public service loan forgiveness. There's a lot of people out there like, this is not going to work. It's not going to happen. When I get there, the government's not going to forgive my debt. And, you know, I would say to that a few things. One is that there's a master promissory note that you signed. It's a contract basically between you and the government that says that PSLF is going to exist and they're going to provide it for you. Most people get grandfathered into changes. And then in addition to that, if you really don't believe it, right, just save up money on the side. And if you get forgiven, great. If you don't, you're closer to retirement. Fantastic. Um, So that's one. The second one, and this is devastating. I have a friend who owes $400,000 out of his pocket because he refinanced instead of pursuing public service loan forgiveness. So a lot of people, well-meaning, really good people, like, hey, I had a really good experience with company X. And so you should refinance with them because I really thought that experience was good. And what they don't realize what they're doing is saying refinance your student loans, which for a lot of people now, particularly with save coming out is not the right thing to do. And so they'll refinance their debt privately, not realize that forgiveness is no longer an option. They've burned that bridge. It's a catastrophic, you know, multiple six figure mistake for many people. Yeah. They're, Cause they're chasing after the lower interest rates. Although I don't know if you can get it's not so tempting now. Which right now. sounds anyway. like good advice, but yeah. it turns out it's, it's not, if you don't know all of the little. Yeah. And, and there's lots of little things, right? Because a lot of people say, Oh, are you getting forgiveness or are you going into private practice? And it's like, well, that's actually a false dichotomy, right? Because it, 80% of hospitals qualify for public service loan forgiveness. So you can be in private practice, but if you're employed by the hospital, right, then you can uh, still you qualify. Um, and so there's all these little nuances and caveats, which is why you can either learn all this stuff or get somebody right. to help you with it, but you have to make a plan. So make sure bottom line is before you do any refinancing, any changes to your student loan situation, find out if you're working for a nonprofit or whatever a qualifying yeah. organization is. Yeah. 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 What advice Absolutely. do you have for physician TikTok YouTubers? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> physician TikTok just, YouTubers. Just curious, you know, theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't spend it all. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, that's uh. yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. Don't, don't having... spend it all on X. Is that, yes. you know, sounds like dollars a month. I think I can afford that, but yeah, you know, yeah, I, I can't, I can't bring myself to call it X. It just feels weird. I know it, it feels, it felt weird saying it. I don't <laughs> yeah. know how yeah. I feel about At that. At first I didn't know what you were talking about. I was like, oh yeah, X. <laughs> He's talking about That's drugs, thing. which also don't yeah, spend right. it on. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it's non-clinical income is, is actually becoming a, you know, a bigger and bigger thing, right? You know, there's it Facebook yes. with a hundred thousand doctors in it that focus exclusively on that. Everyone's talking and, about the side gigs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the side gigs, they're a big deal. And so it, it, it is interesting watching what people do with that money. Some people, you know, they go part-time, right? So, and that's certainly the the route that I took, um, you know, increased, you know, non-clinical income outside of medicine. And, you know, right now I practice two days a week doing anesthesia. And amazingly, I like my job again, right? And so- You're just doing cataracts, right? That's exactly. It. I just 100%. do 40,000 pre-op notes a day for just the, the eye docs. That's exactly right. It's an anesthesiologist's favorite job. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Yeah. If you like doing paperwork in your hand, uh, you know, cramping, 
but <laughs> just cover cover a couple irons. But I mean, what is it? I don't know. What does it say about the the status of just being in medicine when that's such a big focus now for so many people? Is I got to find some other stream of income so that I can not work in medicine as often as I am now. Like, yeah, that's not great. No, it's not. I mean, you know, the burnout numbers are super super high. And, and, you know, it's actually really interesting because, you know, we're talking about personal finance and burnout. They're actually linked, right? So the higher student loan burdens you have, the more burned out you are. And then there's all these other, you know, aspects of medicine that are burning doctors out too. Um, you know, and, and I really think that a large part of it's related to an attack on autonomy. We don't have the ability to, you know, a lot of us don't have the ability to kind of dictate our own schedule, you know, or missing t-ball games or recitals or, you know, dinner with our partner or, you know, even like professional responsibilities at work, like how do you do your job, you know, and you have to check this box and write that note and build this way, you know, it's, it's, you know, right. really, yeah, it's, it's hard. And I mean, the, the evidence is there, you know, people are pursuing side gigs. I, I mean, it's, it reminds me of that quote, right, that a, an entrepreneur is the only person who will work 80 hours for themselves in order not to work 60 hours for someone else. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. And I know you probably relate to that if I do. Yeah, I, I do. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I, and if anybody wants to pursue internet comedian ophthalmology, um, I'd, I'd be happy to have, uh, you know, somebody else, yeah, a partner (laughs) doing that stuff with me. Um, another thing that, uh, I've seen, uh, recently a lot of commentary about is private equity. Mm -hmm. And this is a touchy subject for a lot of people in medicine, but I think it's, 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 it's an increasing increasingly important thing to for people to be aware of and, and related to, to this issue of autonomy exactly yeah so uh actually you know what let's let's take a quick break and then let's come back and we'll we'll talk about private equity hey chris you know what this is stethoscope uh, yeah it's not just any stethoscope it's the echo core 500 digital stethoscope with three lead ecg that's pretty they, fancy. I didn't even know they could do that. They've combined yeah. the ECG, the little yeah. tracing thing. The danger squiggles. Yeah, the danger into a stethoscope. And, That's and, pretty handy. And it's it's also got 40 times noise amplification, noise cancellation, and also a fancy little uh, uh, display right oh, here. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's so cool. And so, uh, honestly, if I had something like this in med school, like I would not have uh, been yelled at by as many cardiologists mm, as that I That would was. have been nice. Yeah, it would have mm-hmm. been really nice. Uh, we have a special offer for our U.S. listeners. Visit echohealth.com slash KKH and use code NOC50 to experience Echo's Core 500 digital stethoscope technology. That's E-K-O health slash KKH and use NOC50 to get a 75-day risk-free trial and free case and free shipping with this exclusive offer. Hey, Kristen. Can I interest you in a Demodex mic? No, you may not. You know what these little guys do? What? They cause Demodex blepharitis, which makes your eyelids like red, irritated, itchy. That's gross. Well, you can get checked out. You know, your eye doctor can look and see if you have them. My eye doctor is currently covered in them. And I can find out for you. Oh, good. (laughs) To find out more about Demodex, go to eyelidcheck.com. Again, that's E-Y-E-L-I-D check.com to get more information about Demodex blepharitis. Don't get freaked out. Get checked out. All right, we are back with uh, Dr. Jimmy Turner. And uh, Jimmy, uh, the the thing, the reason I want to talk about private equity is because it seems like every month there's a new private equity firm going bankrupt. Uh And we're seeing this now in emergency medicine. 
oh, and yeah, it, it's uh, there was Envision, I think, is one of them, and um, I, the name escapes me for the other one. But uh, they're these big groups that are just they're running out of money and and they're filing for bankruptcy. And so, can I? Can you just you know help the listeners out because you're the finance guy here? Uh, just what exactly do I mean when I say like private equity acquisitions? What is this? Yeah. So, you know, it, it is, uh, and I'll readily admit, cause I'm almost happy to admit when I don't know something. So yeah. branching outside the, uh, the personal finance space a little bit. Right. But this is when, you know, companies that are, you know, not publicly traded, you know, a, a PE firm, um, you know, basically says, Hey, we want to come in, we want to buy your practice. Um, and they end up, you know, trying to structure things in a way that allows them to reap the most profit, right. While reducing expenses and at the cost of, you know, often medical mm -hmm. care. Um, and so with that, you know, the, the doctor that is working at said practice, who's likely a partner ends up taking, you know, some money home because of that yep. deal. Cause they're paying the owners of the, the practice, which are the partners. And so, you know, for the people that are in the practice, naturally there's a very large financial incentive to sell it. Um, but at the expense that, you know, you're, you're dealing with the devil a little bit because on the back end, your job's probably going to look a lot different than it does right now. Right. And, um, and so, you know, the, the financial ramifications and, and you kind of have to wonder, like, is this about what we've been talking about before where, you know, low financial literacy, doctors don't save a lot of money, only 10% of doctors have more than $5 million. You know, we talk about how much that would give you every year in retirement. Uh, but, you know, suffice it to say, it's, you know, maybe enough yeah. for some doctors and maybe not enough for others. And so when someone comes along and offers this very large sum of money to privately buy this company and to own the equity of it to become the, the majority owner or the entire owner, um, they now get to make the decisions about the company once they own 51%. Right. Um, you know, and so it, it's, it, it is an interesting phenomenon. And actually in anesthesia, this is actually, uh, you know, a really interesting thing, not just from the private equity side, but there are also practices that are owned by those, you know, large organizations. Um, and this happened twice in North Carolina. So I practice in North Carolina where a group who was employed by one of those large groups. So let's say, you know, Mednax and Vision, like a very large group, whatever. Um, and they have a contract with these hospitals and the, the hospital says, Hey, we want to renegotiate the contract. And they're like, yeah, you know, we're not really interested. They're like, no, like we really want to renegotiate these contracts. And the large group's like, no, like we're not going to do that. And they said, fine, your contract's gone. Well, all those docs work for that large company. Yeah. So they now live in a city in which they can't practice in the hospitals because that contract is gone, but their employer is this like, you know, cloud service that doesn't really exist in that, in that place. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they can enforce the non-compete, right? And so now you have doctors yeah. that it's happened in Charlotte, it's happened in Raleigh, um, you know, that, that live in a city that are still anesthesiologists that theoretically could still provide care, uh, but their large organization lost their contract so they don't have a job. Um, you know, so there's a lot yeah. of these strange things in medicine, private equity coming in, these large organizations that, you know, don't really fight for the doctor and don't let them go when things don't, you know, go south. Um, yeah, huge economic pressures. It seems to me from an outside perspective, uh, and you can tell me if this is an oversimplification or not, but it seems to me like, you know, a private equity buyout, they come to you and they offer to, to what would it be, acquire your company, um, that that would make financial sense for, you know, maybe people who are at the, the later stages of their career nearing retirement because you can have that lump sum right before retirement and then you don't, if you're retired, you don't have to worry about the after effects of what the company is going to come in and do, right? But that for anyone who's not there yet 
it maybe makes less financial sense for those individuals, right? And the further away you are from that, maybe the less sense it might make for you. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah I, I think, think so. I think Will can yeah, yeah, talk to it a little absolutely. bit. But they normally make you stay for a little bit, right, Will? They, I think they do, yeah, because they don't. what they don't want is to like to to spend like $20 million on this practice and then have everybody retire, right? So the, right. the way it, it typically works is they will offer you the, the, the big sum of money and then they will let you buy back shares of the company mm-hmm. so that you still have a little skin in the game. You're still invested in the success of the practice. And that's how they, that's how they sell. That's how they try to get kind of mid, mid-career or early career physicians on board. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, you're not owning a majority of the practice. And so, yes, you do have that, uh, that equity in the company still, but you're still not the one who gets to make all the decisions. So what you're gaining financially, you're kind of sacrificing in autonomy. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, and that's the, um, that's the trade-off and why, you know, a lot of, I, I've de- certainly heard anytime I, I put something out there about private because I've done some videos about, uh, um, you know, Bartholomew Banks, mm-hmm. private equity. <laughs> who, uh, um, and it seems like every time I put a video about it, I, I get a, a, an email or message from somebody who's either a med student or a, a resident or early career. And they're, they're like, so they're concerned. They're like, uh-huh. uh, this is scary, especially in certain specialties, you know, ophthalmology is one of them, dermatology, you know, there are certain specialties that are more attractive to private equity. A lot of ones that have a little bit more like cash pay options, they're, um, you know, perceived as just, there's just a little bit more lucrative specialties Mm -hmm. that are obviously going to attract more private equity. And so you, and you see the, the specialties that have the most private equity in them. It's like dermatology is like top of the list. You know, ophthalmology is is up there as well. Anesthesia, uh, anesthesiology is a big one. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, young people coming in, they're they're concerned, they're worried about this because yeah. the, the worst case scenario, right, is you get the practice gets sold up underneath you, and yeah, you're so now, in academics. Yeah, I mean that's exactly right. So in, yeah. in academics, like my residents, you know, whether it's you know a large organization buying a practice or private equity, uh, but either way, losing basically their partnership track, like they've got a two or three year partnership track in anesthesia, and then you know it gets bought, you know, two years and eleven months into your partnership, and so. It's actually something I talk to a lot of my trainees about who are in that situation. You know, they go look at this group and like, oh, it's a great job. Like it's got everything that I want. And I'll ask them about it. You know, uh, what happens if they get bought out? I'm like, well, you know, they say that's not going to happen. I'm like, okay, well, ne- negotiations 101, right? So, someone <laughs> says that, you know, there's no way it's going to happen. It's like, well, hey, that, that's great. Then you should have no problem adding this language to my contract since mm-hmm. it's not going to happen, right? Right. And, you know, yeah. and, and I can't tell you how often people have come back and, and after that, it's hilarious. Because I'll be like, hey, you know, how'd that, uh, how'd that conversation go? And they're like, I'm not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> oh, like, no. I'm like, I guess it went well. Like, no, like they, it's confidential. They, you know, they got what they wanted. They're happy. Uh, now they can't disclose it because they don't want everybody else finding out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a huge concern. Right. And like, even like just work in there at least like, Hey, if you get bought out, I've been there for a year, I get a third, right. And mm-hmm. two years I get two third. I mean, try to get something, but like signing a contract nowadays where you have, you know, years to partner and, and potentially a buy-in and it gets bought out before that happens. I mean, that is a lot could insane. happen in three, two or three years, right. Yeah. Before the decision is made to, to buy into a practice. So 
yeah, it's um, it, it can be a, a terrifying situation for young people. But you know, it's also just fundamentally the idea of private equity coming in and 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 buying up all these medical practices. Yeah, what um, does it mean for patient care? Yeah, and mm. that's that's the ultimate question I think for a lot of people is uh, because. You know, for like physician-owned practices or where physicians are running the show, you know, at least there there is some something in that person that got them into medicine that's not financially related, right? right? Like they right. they really the do Hippocratic care. Hippocratic oath is in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, yeah, it is. It's still sometimes it's a big part. Sometimes it's 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 diminished and it's just a tiny part, but it's still there. It's still there. That motivation should still be there somewhere. But now you have these corporations that are like purely profit driven, right? They're coming yeah. in and have totally different motivations. And I think that's, you know, on a philosophical level, kind of the, the, a, a big part of this, um, uh, the frustration and the, yeah. um, and the conflict. And it's not that they're like evil people or something. It's just that fundamentally these are different institutions yeah. with different purposes, right? A healthcare institution is for patient care. A business by definition needs to make a profit and, and, you know, has shareholders or whatnot that they are obligated to provide a profit for. So. Yeah. It, it's really interesting because it, it actually reminds me of, um, I think it was Milgram who did this uh, shock experiment. Yes. And uh, yeah. And so, you know, if you're familiar with that, the idea that- You have a lot of psychology. So I, I have a psychology major. background, so I'm yeah. <laughs> picking up a lot what of that. What is the shock experiment? Yeah. Go ahead and explain the shock experiment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, no, that's great. Yeah, so I was, I was a philosophy major and I, I love thinking about how people think. So, um, but yeah, so the shock experiment basically did a few different variations of it. Uh, but the, the couple that I really liked, or I, I should not say like, that is the wrong word. <laughs> that were interesting. <laughs> that I found fascinating, although ethically problematic. There we go. Big right. fan of shock therapy. IRBs yeah. were not a thing back yeah, then. Yeah, this this would not fly past the IRB yeah. these days. So, you know, they would take people and, and, you know, in the first iteration, have them, you know, kind of physically put that person's, you know, hand on a, a shock plate. And then they'd walk over and they'd have to administer shocks. And the shock board would be labeled from like mild to moderate to severe to like XXX, like lethal. And, um, and interestingly, you know, people would go all the way up the board if they had an authoritarian figure standing behind them that basically said, hey, the research has got to go on. And the perfect, the person would have to try to quit three or four times, even though they were told at the beginning they can stop at any point. But because they had this person, speaking of white coats, they had this person in a, in a white coat authority figure telling you you have to keep going for like the equivalent of like what's 20 bucks today, people walked in and found out that they would end somebody else's life if an authority figure told you to. And the second thing was that they did other iterations where they separated people. Okay, you don't have to touch their hand anymore. There's no more physical contact. We're going to put you in the same room. You can see and you can hear them, right? And that rate went up because there's disconnection. They put them in a different room. Now they can only hear them. They can't see them. And so every step along the way, if an authority figure told you to do something, in other words, good people will do bad things in bad environments. And the further separation you have from the people you're interacting with, the more likely you are to cause harm. And so when you're talking about a private equity company who exists, God knows where, has never seen a patient, doesn't even know the doctor that they, you know, work with supposedly, like if, if they passed mm -hmm. you on the street, they would not know you, right? Yeah. And so there's like 57 degrees of separation and they're, they're driven by profit. And so naturally good people. I bet the people, if you met those people at the top of those companies and you had dinner with them, you wouldn't be like, this is the worst human being I've ever experienced right. in my life. But because yeah. they're separated from the people that are supposed to be getting helped at the bottom of that, you know, separation, right. you know, interaction relationship, you know, they will do harmful things, um, which is, 
extremely scary. Maybe we actually do need IRBs. Hmm? Oh, how about that? That's, yeah. that's private equity. We should create private equity it, IRBs. It, <laughs> yes. <that's right. laughs> um, and then just wrapping this up, going back to you know, what I was saying initially with what I've seen lately, a couple, a few different, you know, private equity companies that own a large swath of emergency departments. It's obvious that this model, it's working better in certain areas than others. You know, I mentioned dermatology, ophthalmology, where it's gained a foothold and seems to be here to stay. But in other areas, you, you can't you can't just treat medicine the same way. And in emergency medicine, you know, there you you have to see everybody. Yeah. No matter what. And a lot of what it's these private up. equity companies do is they'll they'll favor certain insurances or you'll they'll de de incentivize people from seeing, you know, low income patients. And and you can't do that in emergency medicine. And so you get into a lot of uh trouble like ethically <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. and also financially because you are you're just starting to lose money and so we're i think we're already seeing that it's not it doesn't work in something like like healthcare, yeah. like with something that's so important to patient care it just the model it just it's not not working out so no i i couldn't agree more i don't know it's uh we'll see where it goes I don't know. It's yeah. kind of a depressing conversation, but uh, I haven't, yeah, I thought I guess, I haven't been able to talk about role. this on I the podcast. Sad. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, right, it's, a, it, it's an important conversation to have, though. It is for sure. Um, before we get into our our game that uh, that I've prepared for you today, um, I do want you to uh, tell one of these stories that you sent us, which I I, I think a lot of people can relate to um, about uh, your time as an intern. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was an intern, right. So I've already told my, I mean, I'm, I'm just producing a massive amount of confidence in my clinical ability. Cause I've already told my lumbar, you know, shaking hands puncture story. <laughs> and now I'm talking about a citralide story that I botched. Uh, but yeah, so we had a patient come in and, um, and the patient was very sick. She was septic and, you know, long story short, um, I'd never put a central line in before. And so I'd built this thing up to be like, this procedure that like an anesthesiologist, of course, like can throw a line in in like four seconds because that's what we do. Like we put lines and tubes in and, you know, stabilize and save people. That's literally what my job is. And, um, and so at the time, like, oh man, like I have to be really, really good at this. And so I'd, I'd seen people do a few, um, but I hadn't done one yet. This was my very first one. And so we took a look at the patient's neck and, you know, the upper level's like, yeah, you know, like the carotid's like right there. Like that's probably not the best one for you to do to start with. You know, let's, let's look at the groin. And so we look at the femoral site and I mean, this thing is like, you could drive a Mack truck through it. It is absolutely <laughs> massive. And so, you know, she's like, you could do that one. And, uh, and so I put the, put the probe on, like gown up, I'm like all sweaty. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. Um, and so like my gloves are sticking to my skin. I can like barely get them on and, uh, do the central line, you know, get access. I get, you know, get some blood and I'm like, Oh great. Like, you know, this is going well. I thread the, the, you know, the wire and then I dilate. And then when I pull the dilator out, I take everything with me. And oh, so no. what I didn't tell you is that this patient's INR was like 47. I mean, it was super therapeutic, like way off the charts. Yes. Um, it was not 47 to be there. It was just very high. <laughs> Even Wait, I know that's, what's, that's what's way INR? too high. INR is your ability to clot your blood, oh. basically. Yeah. yeah, so it's a, it's a normalized ratio. Tells you about blood clotting. So this patient's blood does not clot, right? And I just put a giant hole in her femoral vein. Oh, so, so naturally, my my uh, my upper level is like, well, uh, <laughs> put some pressure on that, and uh, you'll never do that again, <laughs> you know. 
And, uh, and so like naturally I held pressure, but like I was like mortified oh, because the first no. time I'd ever done it, I stayed two hours after my emergency medicine shift. It was, it was on while I was, out while I was in the emergency department to do this procedure. Um, and so like, man, like I turned that like one situation uh -huh. into meaning like I'm going to be a terrible anesthesiologist and like generalized it to, you know, mean this one instant defined who, you know, who I was as a physician created yeah, this one massive... first time you've tried something. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you hilarious. think though. Yeah. 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 But no, nobody talks about medicine that way. Right. Like, so now when my residents make mistakes, like knowing what I went through and how humiliating that was. Um, I was telling me, I'm like, you know, personally, like I never make mistakes and like, you know, I'm, I'm joking with them, right? Like I make mistakes all the time still to this day. And, um, but because no one normalizes that, you know, it, it is challenging because perfection is expected. Um, but we're human, right? And so, you know, I made this mistake. I generalized it, catastrophized, you know, stayed up all night, like just perseverating on it. Super healthy. Mm -hmm. um, I've right. seen and, that before. Uh, I know. Yeah. I've, I, my, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> When I was uh, first learning cataract surgery, uh, you know, within my my first ten cases that I did alone or with an attending, but I did the whole case myself. I had two complications, and oh. and I was like convinced I was I was never gonna do. I'm like, I'm done. There's no way. No one's ever gonna hire me. I'm gonna go to jail. All the things. <laughs> Uh, you turn so, Doctor Death. That's right. Yeah. The podcast might as well be Doctor Death here. Um, yeah. So it's but those mistakes so they do stick with you. I I've seen you know even once oh, yeah. you're in attending or whatever. Like we're like, talking about it like how many years later? Yes, right? exactly. Oh, I remember. And, and the funny part is, is that like my nickname at work is Dory, like the forgetful fish. <laughs> I'm extremely forgetful. And so it just kind of like goes to show like you always remember the bad ones, right? Like oh, I don't remember right. every single save I've ever had or difficult airway I've ever had that, you know, I, I was successful at, you know, uh, getting, but man, I, I remember the failures. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and you know what, not to take everything back to private equity, but I can't help it here. I mean, that is what you're talking about of that distance between, right? When you're the one touching that patient, doing the procedures, it does stick with you. You think about that person that night, you, you know, you wonder the next morning, how are they doing? You go and you check the chart. I mean, it's, it's on your mind. It's on your conscience. So, you know, when you're in that situation, you're going to take better care of the person. You're going to care more about their outcomes, you know, rather than just making a profit. So I think even yeah. that story, you know, goes to show that the more distance you have between yourself and the patient, it might not be a great thing. For sure. Yeah, no, I completely agree that that is 100% true in my experience. Well, I'm glad you ended up uh, still pursuing anesthesiology despite yeah. uh, that It turns out experience. I don't suck at my job. Like yeah. I You're, it turns out you can be really good at your and job. practice really works. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I uh, devised this little uh, short game that we're going to play. Um, I, I, you know, I try to relate it to what the person's like an expert in. I'm a little uh, and, nervous. I'm not going to lie. Well, well, don't be. Um, because I was like, okay, this, we got to make it like financial related. But then I remembered like I don't have any like financial knowledge. <laughs> and and so um, I, I kind of hedged a little bit. And so we're going to play a game that is uh, called Personal Loans. Personal Loans. Got it. Personal um, Loans. All right. So, <clears throat> so for this game, uh, we're talking about borrowing or loaning personal items all right not money personal okay. items all right all right so for each of these scenarios jimmy you are going to answer if you would in fact loan or borrow that item okay let's do it all right first one well, this is easy would you borrow your kid's spoon to have a bite of their ice cream sundae 
hundred percent. Hundred percent. So would I. Absolutely. I would prefer my own, but if there weren't one available, then yeah, you would sure. borrow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Would you loan your toothbrush to your spouse if they forgot theirs while traveling? You know, th- this is a, a really interesting <laughs> one because I, I kid you not. All right, I, I probably shouldn't admit this publicly, but uh, we were at my in-laws literally like two weeks ago and uh, maybe even more recent than that. And uh, I brushed my teeth first night. Like, I, I don't know what happened. Like the toothbrush monster came along and like devoured my toothbrush. I have no idea what happened to it. And so, uh, so <laughs> would I loan it? Uh, probably not, but I definitely borrowed one. There you go. Which uh, is, gro- which is gross, say, by the way. That is disgusting. I would not loan you my toothbrush. You no. You wouldn't do that for I me? I wouldn't, no. No, that's disgusting. Like, your toothbrush, it really gets in there, you know? Like, yeah. it, your you mouth know, is I, just, I, I don't not your mouth, you. but people's mouths desperate are Desperate times call for desperate measures. That's right. Yeah, well, I would say, especially because it's a toothbrush, Yeah. I would say, let's say we're at a hotel, I would say just go to the front desk and get a toothbrush. Or I would say go to any corner of a city and find what if somewhere selling a toothbrush. What if we're camping? In the... Then I would say use your finger or go find a stick. A stick. Well, <laughs> first of all, you would never stick. go camping. You would that not. That is true. Yeah. I hate camping. I know that's <laughs> going to be a controversial opinion. That's but okay. I do not like it. it. Had to come out eventually. All right. <laughs> So there, we're a little bit uh, split on that one. Okay, that's good. Would you let your friend borrow your deodorant at the gym? Mm. Probably now we're talking my preference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not mouth. That's a little. That that's a little. You know, it's funny that that seems like it should be less gross, but I don't think I would. Oh really? I there have many times. Let <laughs> Maybe it's because it's my friend people. and not my spouse. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Also. Men's pits are more disgusting than women's pits, they're generally just, speaking. Yeah. Generally, how, how smelly is my friend? How smelly yeah. is my friend? That's probably gonna be the the question yeah. that's gonna make or break it. And and how how wet? How sweaty are they? I have certainly borrowed your deodorant yeah, well, against your will. Yes, that's the key. I was gonna say. I think it's more I like did not stealing. Tell you. I did not tell you, and I made sure I didn't leave any hair behind. Well, and I bet you smelled <laughs> like a delightful flower all day. <laughs> I did. It was probably. it was it yeah. was lovely. It is interesting how they smell very different. They do. They do. They yeah. Do very much. Okay. Would you loan a fellow anesthesiologist your phone who forgot theirs so they could have something to do during a six hour case? So they can pay Candy Crush. That's right. Okay. Got it. Actually, so you have to go six hours without your That's phone. That's right. They said, just said, Jimmy, I'm desperate. I, I I don't have my phone. I left it at home. Can I, can I borrow yours for this case? Because uh, what am I going to do? Oh, uh, you know, while they're running bowel for three hours. You know, I, I think that um, what I've noticed in my life is that the moments that I am happiest are generally when I am without my phone, uh, you know, or don't have the ability to use my phone. So say I'm playing a sport or I'm so engaged in something that like I'm not even paying attention to it. So, you know, for, for the welfare of my friend and for my own happiness, I, I probably would let them borrow my phone. Yeah, it would have to be so. someone you very much trust to have access to your at, phone. As yeah. long as I have access to the internet in other ways, like yes. my email potentially, yeah. uh, that I could occasionally check. There yeah. you go. Yeah, He's such cool. a nice guy. Yeah, I don't know nice if guy. I would. I don't know if I could do you that. You could to not. Somebody. You're pretty I, addicted to your I would, phone. I would. Well, not that. It's like the privacy thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, that would. You're the yeah, only you've one. Got I think I would trust. On your phone. Yeah, you've got terrible, have, terrible things on your phone. Terrible things on my phone. Absolutely. Yeah, and they could use your ex account. I don't. That's yeah, right. I can't have anybody looking in my DMs on uh, yeah. on uh, some of those group chats. Anyway, <laughs> um, all right. 
Moving on. Moving on. Before you get yourself Moving in trouble. Moving on here. Um, okay, here's one. Would you loan your car to an out-of-town guest visiting your home for the weekend? Zero percent chance. <laughs> I, 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 I am. All right. I, yeah, so. You're a car I'm guy. A, uh, That's why I I'm asked a huge that car guy. Yeah, so, uh, no. And in fact, we are going to the beach, and my wife's, my wife's a teacher, and so she's going back to the classroom full time. It's, uh, it's been a few years. And so we just happen to schedule the beach trip on like the weekend that she's due back to go full time for class. So she's like going to go down Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday, have to come back Monday night. And so we were trying to figure out like, I've got, we've got three kids, uh, you know, a lot of beach stuff. Like how in the world are we going to make this work? I, I was, <laughs> I am not willing to drive my car to the beach. <laughs> so I was going to have to like rent a second car or like borrow it or something like that. And so like, I, I'm actually going to be driving my in-laws second car to the beach so that my car doesn't have to go. Oh Although gosh. I will argue that it's not because I'm like trying to keep it super nice. It, it is, uh, it's a very small four door sedan. Uh, and so it would also be quite useless because I like you could pack like two suitcases and it'd pretty much be full. Gotcha. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Sure. But no, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't let, and it's a manual transmission. So 98% oh. of people couldn't drive it anyway. It's very convenient. <laughs> yeah. That, that's good, why it's not because it's manual. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of them, right? Yeah. Right. It's, yeah. Well done. <laughs> uh, uh, um, what, what kind of a car are we talking? What is this car? Yeah, what is it? Share? It, it's the most ridiculous name ever, but it's a uh, it's a CT4V Blackwing, so it's a Cadillac. Okay. And if you drove by one, you'd have no idea what it is, which is why I love it. It's a sleeper. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, that we'll leave it at that. Well, uh, that was personal loans. Well done. Um, love it. And so, Did I pass. Did I win? Uh, you, <laughs> sure. Yeah, you won my uh, my my uh, respect and admiration for sitting through that. Not sure how well you fared with your wife, but. You know, yeah, that's right. That, now that's we know a lot more about you, though, that you are willing to share toothbrushes, but not your car um, <laughs> or deodorant. It's true. But you're forthcoming with your phone. That's that's I was impressed yeah. by that. Yeah, I was uh, honest. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let's oh, we've kept you for so long already. Uh, so um, we want to make sure that you get to talk about the things that are going on in, in your life and anything you want to discuss. I know you got you got a lot of things. You're You're a busy guy. So kind of give us a little quick rundown of what's going on you want people to know about. Yeah. So, um, you know, things are, are interesting, right? So I still practice anesthesia, but then you mentioned, uh, the work that I do for attend co-founding that, um, which is super exciting, uh, with my story, naturally my North star, my ethos has always been doing what's right for other doctors because a lot of us don't know what's going on. I didn't know what was going on back then. And so building a company that is actually doing what's best for, for people so that they can do what they do best, which is take care of patients. Um, you know, I'm incredibly passionate about. And so, yeah, the Attend for Doctors app just launched, I mean, within like the last, you know, three or four weeks. Um, so super excited to, to help people with that. You know, they can get help with their student loans or disability insurance, some of the topics we talked about today. Um, and then, yeah, we're still hanging out of the Money Meets Medicine podcast, which you came on and, you know, yeah. graced, our, graced our presence with. Uh, and so if they like listening to podcasts and, and enjoy that, then they can head over there and you know, obviously enjoy uh, and I banter about medicine. Um, so yeah, super exciting things going on. Um, but, uh, and, and a couple of places they can check them out. Yeah. And that's hello attend.com. Is that right? Hello attend.com or attend for doctors. It's in the Apple app store, which I always say that. And then like, I'm going to get like 14 emails from people who are like, but I have an Android. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, and I'm gonna be like, I hear you. Like we're working on it; it's coming. But like, gotcha. 95 percent of doctors have Apple. So you re- you recognize the the problem there, uh, so, and that's attend as in attending, like an attending yeah. physician. Attend. A T T E N D. There you go. 
Well, uh, Jamie, thanks again for coming on. Um, it's always a pleasure to thank you for making me feel uncomfortable by uh, forcing us to talk about uh, money. It's a very important thing. It's good for you. Yes, it's good. It's like exercise, but exercise just feels bad uh, sometimes. <laughs> but um, uh, it's it's important and necessary, and uh, we all need to be a little bit better at it. Yes. So thank you again for uh, for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, let's take a look at some of our. Take a look. Take a listen. Do we listen? Take a gander. Take a take a take a listen. Let's Stroll take a listen to some of lane. our one of our uh, uh, medical stories from a listener. Uh, so we have Bridget who says, "I had a I had to have a sleep study done a while back. It was my first my it was my perfect sleep hell. <laughs> oh no! Perfect sleep. Everyone has a sleep hell. Yeah." Things Sleeping that just is hard, you know, the older you get, especially it's harder to sleep. You got to have things just right. <laughs> it's too, it was too warm, too early, too bright, too noisy with the college kids across the street, drag racing and their bass thumping too weird. Having someone watching your every move. That I, would be very I have weird. had a sleep study and it is not a good night's sleep. Yeah. You're connected to wires and. Yeah. It, Which seems to defeat the purpose. Don't you think? Wouldn't you want to study someone sleeping like in their natural. Yeah, you would think so. Like you want to study their normal sleep, but then you gotta like you be know, in their house and watch them sleep. That's weird too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wake up, standing someone standing over you, just watching you. It's like having a toddler. <laughs> since, since you're all hooked up for the study, they ask you to just speak up when you want to use the bathroom. In the night, I asked to get up, but they didn't hear the first time. I told the nurse or tech, and she said she'd turn up the microphone. Shortly after I got back in bed, I finally relaxed and let rip the loudest fart. In oh, no. ever, and immediately here on the comm, I'll be right over. I had to explain to the nurse that no, I didn't call out. I just farted. <laughs> oh no! They thought the fart was asking for help, <laughs> <laughs> which could have been in a slightly different way. <laughs> but <laughs> what an awkward thing to have oh. a, a sleep study. You just it's like it's not something that we ever that we expect to be monitored doing yeah right uh but i guess here it's go important. to sleep when you're your most vulnerable and you're yeah. supposed to be relaxed and but first uh, let's put all these uncomfortable things on you and also a stranger is uh, going to watch you while yes, you sleep yes absolutely thank you bridget for that wonderful story um and shout out to sleep medicine doctors for putting people through that <laughs> it's important though uh, and uh, what a what a fun uh, episode! What a fun guest. Yeah, learned some Having things. Dr. Jimmy Turner on uh, yeah. talking about talking about finances. Yes, people shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. You know, that's how that's how we learn more about it. That's how we, yeah. you know, make things more equitable. If everybody would just talk, he's right. About There's like it, a little bit of a, like a taboo type of thing, and and yeah. not necessarily talking about like telling everybody how much you make, but just right. like talking about what you do with your money and. Like, you know, giving tips and learning right. from each other, uh, you know, but it does. It just it, it can feel, I don't know, overwhelming. It can feel like, like, like you, it, it can make you feel bad about yourself. I think if it's not done the right way, because you feel like you're not doing the right things with your money. Oh, you right. Know? Yes, especially for you, like ambitious, overachieving perfectionists. You know that applies to you too. <laughs> You just described yourself just as much as you described me. Oh, I know. 
But, well, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there should be any reason not to talk about things like that. I'm not a fan yeah. of taboos in general. I think things should be able to be discussed. And if you guys have any stories about any funny, like, financial-based stories, uh, any, like, I don't know, mid-level marketing schemes. Oh, gosh. Um, anything, uh, anything fun and interesting and exciting related to personal finance and medicine, please let us know. There's lots of ways to reach out to us. You can email us. E- you can do what now? E- email us. Email us? Email, email us. Knock, knock, hi at human-content.com. You can visit us on all the social media platforms. We're on everything. You can also hang out with our Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. Gonna have a barbecue over there later. Maybe a little get together, a little family reunion uh, every so often. It's gonna be great. Also, a shout out to the great listeners. All of you. You're all wonderful listeners. Most of you. Like 99.9% of you are wonderful listeners. I'm sure there's probably somebody out there that's just like stinkers in there somewhere. Just to, yeah. Uh, But uh, you're like hate listening. Yeah. So I'm sure there's always somebody, you know, like, anyway, thank you all for leaving the wonderful feedback and reviews. We love that. We love hearing what you have to say. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out like Mickey Howard, five, seven, nine, one on YouTube said, I'm a musician slash former music teacher and cellist. Uh, but I've always been super interested in all things medical. So I found Dr. Shaban's story fascinating. Mm, Dr. Yes. DeShower, the violin yeah, MD. Violin MD, mm-hmm. who's uh, the violinist and slash rheumatologist. And I literally listened to this podcast to and from my appointment with my ophthalmologist. <laughs> Look at that. Wonderful. Yeah. I love it. Perfect timing. Thank you for going to see your ophthalmologist. Uh, hey, full... uh, you should do the same. I should see an ophthalmologist. <laughs> Who am I going to see? My partner? Yes, you work with like 10 ophthalmologists. That's right. Any of them could do it. Full video episodes of this podcast are up every week on my YouTube channel at DGlockenFlecken. We also have a Patreon. Lots of fun perks, bonus episodes, or react to medical shows and movies. Uh, Hang out with other members of the Knock Knock High community. We are growing rapidly. And we're active there. We're interacting. Early ad-free episode access, interactive Q&A live stream events, get-togethers, much more. Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out to Mistress Macabre. Mm. I love that name. Yes, I want to know more. Mysterious. Shout out, of course, to all the Jonathans. Patrick, Lucia C., Sharon S., Omar, Edward K., Stephen G., Roskbox, Jonathan F., Marion W., Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C., Brianna L., Dr. J., Chaver W., Jonathan A., Leah D., K. L., Rachel L., and Ann P. A virtual I want to see if you nod. can do all of those do you all? in one breath next time. Yeah, I think I could do that. Mm-hmm. Maybe not. I don't know. It's a growing mm-hmm. list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patreon Roulette. Uh, random shout out to someone on the emergency medicine tier. So shout out to... Dan K for being a patron. Thanks, Dan K. Thanks, Dan. And thank you all for listening. We're your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glockenfleckens. A special thanks to our guest, Dr. Jimmy Turner. Executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Courtney, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Editor and engineer Jason Portiz. Our music is by Omar Binsvi. To learn about our Knock Knock Highs program disclaimer, ethics policy, submission verification, license terms, and release terms, go to glockenfleckens.com. Reach out to us at knockknockhigh at human-content.com with any questions, concerns, what could you possibly be concerned about? We're perfect on this podcast. Or fun medical puns or jokes or limericks. Nagnakai is a human content production.
Goodbye. Hey, Kristen, do you know why I got into medicine in the first place? To spend your evenings on documentation, of course. Uh, no. Actually, that never even crossed my mind. Mm, weird. I got into medicine to actually take care of patients, to mm. to be able to form relationships with them that and, is a and better care reason. for them, to listen to them, to actually look at their eyeballs while I'm treating their eyeballs. Well, I would hope that you look at where you're treating. It's an important part of being an ophthalmologist, and it's easier than ever with the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It's just in the room with you, and it helps you be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. Uh, It basically lets you get back to being a physician and practicing the way you want to practice. So it's like having a Jonathan. It really is. To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.